Good afternoon, dear listeners. You are tuned in to CJSR FM 88.5, and this is Moving Radio. Of course, as always, I'm your host, Christian Zip, and join me, won't you, for the next one half hour as we take a look at local Canadian and independent cinema. Well, it's a bit of a special week here on CGSR, whether you've been paying attention or not. Uh, it is our 30th anniversary we've kicked off this year, which is a big deal for community radio, especially uh, that is housed in the basement of a university in an old bank vault, basically. Uh, it's an important deal for us, and we're more than happy to be creeping up on middle age. It's great. We're just starting to get gray hairs right now. Uh, and as for a little history lesson, I won't bore you too much. Moving Radio has not been around for 30 years. It's basically been around for 10 plus. And it didn't start with me. It started with a young man named Sammy Celluloid who started the ball rolling on this one. And then uh, somebody roped me in and eventually it just became my baby. And if you've been listening for a few years, you know that it's pretty well all my baby. But I've been happy to do it, and it's very much a pleasure of mine to be able to do this program. And uh, it's been the greatest film school I've ever attended. So uh, hopefully you'll be able to join me not only on this show, but on many others, as we take another look every two weeks at local Canadian and independent cinema, and we celebrate that which is community radio, servicing our community and trying to promote artists from within this community, as well as spreading it across the world, hopefully on the globe, if you're listening to this on the lovely, lovely interweber. All right, but enough of my 30th anniversary chat about CGSR, and happy birthday, by the way, CGSR. Let's get to this week's program. I speak with blogger Ann Thompson this week, and actually I recorded this interview right before Christmas, and we talked about uh, Inside Lewin Davis. And I had not seen the film at the time of the interview, so I talked to Ann Thompson a lot about that. Uh, I have since seen the film, and I like it, but I don't know that it's one of my favorite Coen Brother films. I won't get into all the criticism of it. I'll let you be the judge for now. So Ann Thompson and we not only talk about Lewin Davis, we also talk about the entire catalog of Coen Brothers films that takes up the majority of today's program. So I hope you enjoy it, because I do, I love me some Coen Brothers. And on top of that as well, tonight at the Metro Cinema, that's right, Friday, January 10th, you can catch the 32nd anniversary presentation of The Thing. That's right, John Carpenter's The Thing, not the original one. Uh, It is a fantastic film. If you've never had a chance to see this, let me tell you, it is an experience, particularly on the big screen, and particularly on a cold winter Edmonton night, will be incredibly impressive and probably surreal once you walk outside the gates of the Metro Cinema. So I talked to Kevin Martin, that's right, he of Dead Fest, as they present John Carpenter's The Thing tonight at 11.30. Get your tickets at the door at the Metro Cinema. So it's all that and a little bit more on this week's edition of Moving Radio with me, your host, Christian Zip. Joining me on the phone today on Moving Radio is uh, somebody whose pieces uh, I've started just discovered lately. Her name is Ann Thompson, and uh, I happened to be in a staff meeting, and I was bored out of my mind, and and that is nothing against you. So I started, uh, you know, sifting through the internet on my iPad, and I found a wonderful retrospective of the Coen Brothers film, and then that laid me down a rabbit hole for about a good half an hour where I completely shut off everyone else and, uh, and just delved into your work. Joining me on the phone today is internet 
film blogger from Hollywood. It's Ann Thompson. Hi, Ann. How you doing? I'm good. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for the kind word. Well, I love and, it when people say things like that. <laughs> you distract me from work, Anne. I love it. <laughs> this is good. This is my job. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the thing that I referred to that kind of uh, started me looking into your work was a bit of a retrospective that you had uh, about the Cone Brothers. Um, maybe before we get into that, let's tell people uh, before we talk about it, where exactly can they find your stuff? And then we're going to remind them a couple more times after. Where can they find your your writing? Well, it's a it's a blog called uh, Thompson on Hollywood, and it's located on the IndieWire blog network. And any any googling of of IndieWire and Thompson will probably get you where you need to go. All right, fantastic. So now uh, let's talk about today, right up to date now, because uh, you have had a chance to see this already. I could have, but. Sadly enough, work things kept me away. So I'm 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 gonna I'm just gonna listen to you as you tell me a little bit about what you think about the film, uh, and maybe we can talk about it uh, as to how it compares to some of the other Cohen Brother films. But tell us all about Inside Llewellyn Davis and what your thoughts were on it. Well, Inside Llewellyn Davis is, is a is set in the '60s. It's sort of loosely inspired by uh, the musician, the folk musician Dave. Van Ronk, and it's set in, you know, the village in Manhattan, and Lewin Davis is this uh, folk musician who's really pure, <laughs> you know, and he's, he's sad because he's mourning uh, the loss of his partner, and so he's trying to take off as a solo act, and he's not doing very well, and everything seems to go wrong. His girlfriend, who's played very well by Carrie Mulligan, uh, is mad at him because you know, she's pregnant, you know, and she's with, she's with, uh, Justin Timberlake. So it gives you a whole portrait of the scene. I mean, Oscar Isaac, um, who you may know from Drive, he actually played, uh, Carrie Mulligan's husband in Drive, plays Lewin Davis, and the reason he got the part that Cohen's gave it to him is because he was so good on the guitar and a really good singer. And so it's, it's one of their, if you want to put this in a category, it's one of Cohen's music movies, like, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? or uh, The Big Lebowski. And T-Bone Burnett, the infamous, famous music supervisor, gets very involved with the, with the filmmakers in, in coming up with the, the music and the songs and, and, and putting the, the sound together. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is that uh, you know, they tend to be a little bit more uh, of kind of an artful tribute to these types of music that they really love, as opposed to this being a, some kind of mighty wind send up in some ways. I mean, there, there's obviously humor within it, but it, it's not trying to uh, mock it in any kind of loving way. It's more just like the humor comes out of the situational stuff. And that's probably what they do best. Well, I have a feeling that the Coens identify a little bit with Lou and Davis. I mean, in, in some ways you would argue that the Coens are hugely successful and they've managed to sort of chart their own course over the course of some, you know, 25 years now, you know, of making movies. And yet they are idiosyncratic and original, you know, they, they are not playing the game at all. They're just doing what they want to do. And luckily it's, it's worked out and they, they work on a pretty low budget and, and everybody wants to work with them and they get great casts and they manage to come up with the financing every time. But it's not the normal shoot for the rafters kind of thing. These these guys are... So I think they identify with him as this sort of pure artist who who isn't commercial, who doesn't know how to be commercial. He has no clue 
And he's like ridiculously self-destructive, but when he actually does what he cares about and loves, it's very beautiful. How you doing? Lauren Davis. Oh, hello. I've heard your music. And heard many nice things about you from Jim and Jean and from others. <laughs> you have not heard one nice thing about me from Jean. Oh, it's fairly well, my darling true. I'm leaving in the first hour of the morning. No, you don't want to go anywhere. And that's why all the same shit is going to keep happening to you because you want it to. Is that why? Yes, and also because you're an asshole. Speaking on the phone today with Ann Thompson. She is a film blogger. You can find her stuff at IndieWire.com. And we're discussing the Coen brothers, and specifically right now, at least their brand new film, Inside Lewin Davis. I know this is tough to kind of do, but you already kind of took a look back at some of the older films. And we're going to talk about that after. But as it kind of sinks in for you after seeing it a little while ago, how does this fit in for you comparatively to, you know, the large catalog of amazing stuff that the Coen brothers have done before? Does it hold up to it, or does this kind of fall in the lady killers category? Not at all. Not at all. I would not put this in the lady killers category. But I would put it in the darker, serious man category. I would put it in in the not seeking to please everybody vein. You know, it's not as raucously entertaining as Oh Brother Where Art Thou, um, or as comedic as Raising Arizona. And those are two of my favorites those two films and it's not as dark and serious as no country for old men this this is it is it is darkly humorous and often very funny uh and all the actors in it are quite are quite good um so i i I put it really in the music category but not the super entertaining music category let's put it you know and and the other thing is you know how much do you like folk music i mean i mean that has something to do with it i think is you know if you're going to go along for this particular ride. It is it is a portrait of a music scene that's not a commercial music scene. And that's part of what they're celebrating. They're celebrating. The f- I'm kind of with you in that, you know, I enjoy their stuff like maybe uh, um, Barton Fink or, or Serious Man that, you know, in some ways there's there's two polarized sides of, of, of surreal life <laughs> within there. But it is dark and it has its moments. But man, I would compare this to Barton Fink in another yeah. way because it's about an artist, similar in the sense that Barton is, is someone who rigorously, uh, <laughs> he's trying to be profound, <laughs> you know, he's trying to do serious work and doesn't know how to adapt to Hollywood. Let's go back to the beginning now, Anne, as we talk to Anne Thompson, uh, movie blogger. You can find her stuff on anywire.com. Going back to something like Blood Simple, if you look at kind of the trajectory of their career and, and where they've gone, you know, when you saw a film like that, do you think that in looking back now, there was a promise of things to come, of things like you're seeing right now um, from the Coen brothers. Well, I remember when that movie came out, and we all were excited. The critics were very excited by that movie. It just showed such incredible chops in terms of, of the writing and the execution, and they were clever. They were sharp. I mean, they had no, you know, they didn't have two pennies to to rub together, but they managed to make that thing really tight and sharp and funny and mordant and dark. And, you know, you just laugh remembering this this sort of comedy of errors with, with, you know, it was bloody and it was violent, but it was hysterical. That's the thing. Their voice is loud and clear. And if you've ever had the pleasure of reading one of their screenplays, it is one of the most fun 
things in the world. I mean, some of them I'm, I'm sure are out there uh, published that you could find, but they're they're just incredibly fun to read. You know, really, really well written, and the two of them work together. You know, really effectively uh, to to make these movies. They work in the same room, and they you know one of them paces, and the other one you know work on the computer and. You know, they're just, they're just really good. For me, uh, and I don't know if I'm dating myself too much, I know the first time that I watched it, I was a young man, like we're talking junior high, uh, and maybe relatively savvy enough to recognize that it was good, but not really fully understanding the full work. And then I think, if, if I really think about when I, like, I fell in love with them, uh, was a few years after that is Raising Arizona. And I think that's when... The same is true of yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. That's that cinched the deal for me. And I can watch that on a loop until the day I die, to be honest with you, H.I. You know. <laughs> My name is H.I. McDonough. Call me hi. Don't forget his profile, man. Turn to the right! What kind of name is it for a pretty thing like you? Short for Edwina. Turn to the right! You're a flower, you are. I do. You bet I do. Okay, then. I was on the set of Raising Arizona. Oh, my God, were you really? Okay, okay. I was. It was Tell shooting in, like, Phoenix, Arizona. And I had an assignment from some publication, like some rock. I think it was called Ampersand. That's right. It was called Ampersand. It doesn't exist anymore. And... And they were not, they have never, this is the thing, I've interviewed them many times over the years, but they've never been particularly interested in being interviewed. And they, if you see them in a public place where they're being interviewed with somebody with a mic or something, they really don't offer up much, you know? They're pretty laconic. But, and on the set of this movie, I sort of struck up a friendship, which has lasted to this day, with the producer, Jim Jacks. But they would—they were ready for me to like leave, you know. <laughs> they really didn't want anybody around watching them. And I eventually interviewed them, and we had a good a good time uh, talk. But uh, it's not something that they care about. They were in this big hangar like space in the middle of the desert, uh, you know, shooting shooting some interiors on that on that movie. I think it was the part where they had all the, the cribs and the babies and, and Nathan Senior and so forth. You know, it was, it was that's my favorite movie of theirs. As you go back to kind of talking about interviewing them before, Anne, is that they're a little bit more, you know, laid back, uh, don't necessarily want to talk about the work as much and let the work do the talking. Uh, how do you kind of break through that wall? How do you, do you connect with them when you know that you have this job to do and you're like, well, we have to promote it, but we also have to make this kind of interesting. Uh, how do you get through to them? For me, it's just what I get out of them is, is, is questions about the process. They're going to answer the question. They're going to answer it as directly and as simply as they can. They're not going to wax on because they don't believe in selling. They're never going to sell. They're never going to promote. You know, some people will do that. Some people want you to have a particular angle on something or they enjoy talking about themselves or they want to uh, promote their film and do well or get your, get your approval or whatever. They're not like that. They don't need your approval. They don't care whether you like them or not. <laughs> they're not really going to talk, you know, uh, at great length. Let me put it another way. They're hard on themselves, you know. There are, nobody is as good as they are without 
taking what they do really, really seriously and working at a very high level with a lot of self-criticism. Uh, we're talking with Ann Thompson. We are discussing uh, the body of work that belongs to none other than the Cohen brothers. Um, and as we look back at these films, and who would be one of the most captivating characters for you uh, in the history of their work? I know it's kind of tough to pick, but who, who really grabs you? And you're like, I still love that person so much. I guess it would be the 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 George, <laughs> the George Clooney character in Oh Brother, where I thought that's just the perfect example of somebody who's he's not that smart, you know, he's not that bright, but you really like him, and he means well. He's kind of a bumbler, right? He and his little group of guys are just you know bumbling along, being sort of foolish, but then when they get in front of the mic, they you know, they they sing really well. <laughs> There's a great deal of Rio and 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 cheeriness. Brad Pitt has a similar uh, in Burn After Reading. Clooney's funny in that too. But there's something about the way Brad Pitt is sort of stupid. You know, <laughs> they they have very little awareness. You know, they're 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 kind of there's a word I love called they're they're kind of gormless, but they're likable. You care about them. They're sweet. Sure. That was my little girl. Uh-huh. He ain't our daddy. I am the only daddy you got. I am the damn heterofamilias. Now Mama's got a new boat. Vernon here's got a job. Vernon's got prospects. He's bona fide. What are you? You can't marry him. Why can't I? I am and I will. This uh, gentleman bothering you? Well, you can't marry my wife. Yeah, I agree with you. They do that so beautifully because those were the two characters I was going to reference as well as saying like probably I would start with like Nick Cage as H.I. But man, they... But he's a similar he's a similar guy. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You had brought him up already. No, he's totally similar. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's something about the dude as well that people love so much is that Lebowski is about, you know, there's there's such a certain amount of bumblingness to it, but there's this heart of gold uh, behind everything they do and that, you know, it's altruistic. They're doing it for the right reasons, but sometimes no, not going about it the right way uh, and failing, right. failing horribly, but still always trying to get to the, whatever well. their goal is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. And then... And then the movies that didn't work for me as well are ones where they're almost, you know, to the extent that they're referencing other films and they're and they're kind of capturing a different uh, style from old movies. Um, that's where Hudsucker Proxy with all the accents and everything just didn't work for me, and and uh, also the Lady Killers. Um, didn't work for me. And I almost felt like Tom Hanks didn't belong in their universe, that he didn't quite capture um, the the thing that they that they do. Whereas you know that Tuturo and Clooney and um, and Cage and a lot of these other actors that work with them frequently, you know, they get it. They, they, you know, Bill Macy, they, they, you know, Francis McDormand, Fargo. Francis McDormand is one of my favorite characters that they've ever done. You know, the way she, she and her husband, you know, the, the way she's, she and her husband are together and how he supports her going out into the world, you know, to do these crazy things. You know, it's, it's a great, you know, and, and the, the sort of, Bill Macy is another one of these clueless, hap, hapless guys. <laughs> You know, it just keeps doing one thing wrong after another, you know, which starts with, with Blood Simple. That that trope begins with, with Blood Simple, that mm-hmm. that kind of piling one miserable act upon another. Mm-hmm. 
and you know, and this would be Ann Thompson, by the way, is who speaking to you today as we discuss the uh, the past films and the current film of the Coen Brothers. Uh, you can read her stuff at IndieWire.com. And uh, the only thing that disappointed me was the fact that you were disappointed in Hudsucker Proxy because I don't know what it is. It was a a horrible commercial failure for them. Um, but when I finally saw it after it didn't get released in theaters here, uh, I couldn't help but feel like this was something that was incredibly special to me. And I still even last weekend, and I'm watching it on cable even though it sits on my shelf right with my wife uh, and watching it unfold. And I just feel like it's so odd uh, but beautiful at the same time. And I kind of get what you mean about like uh, the dialogue being real specific about it. But I love this banal story about this guy from a small town who essentially invents the hula hoop. I don't know why a big studio thought that was going to work. <laughs> but there's so many things <laughs> about that and and uh and, and even just Paul Newman uh being so perfect in it uh I, I don't know I I'm just saying maybe you may want to go back and revisit that again because just that scene alone of the hula hoop rolling down the street and the kids following it after it failed horribly and then it starts to gain momentum uh I thought was was pure genius but, I'll have to look at it again. But that's just me, Anne. There's there's a lot of good moments. You know, entry level. But I got big ideas. When the president, an owner of 87% of the company's stock, drops, then the company, too, has a problem. What we need now is a new president. Some jerk. I like his on fire. We can really push around. Yo! Yeah, yo, boss! This letter was sent down this morning by the big man himself. Sit down, son. Go ahead. Try it on. The fortune city on idea man when they promoted you from the mail room. Well, I guess so. I don't think they promoted me because they thought I was a schmo. <laughs> the guy's a real moron. Degrees? No, thank you. You cannot deny the fact that Roger Deakins uh, has to have an even stronger influence on the way that their films have looked um, from when he joined after Barry had left. Do you find that he is kind of like that that third brother, maybe in some ways, or um, you know, in the way that I feel? I don't think he shoots all their films. Yeah, but it's he does. A I, good I don't chunk think of them, he did yeah. this one inside Lewin Davis. No, because he's directing he, his own he did project. Do, now. Right, he did do Oh Brother Where Art Thou, and mm-hmm. and one of the things that he did there it was the first time that they went to a digital intermediate, and it was one of the first times that. Um, a, a, a DP used the digital intermediate to really, really uh, mm-hmm. paint the colors in the movie. And, and you'll remember that it had a very specific gold tint to it that, mm-hmm. that he, he brought to it. And that was, that was a big deal. That was a big innovative moment in, in the history of uh, digital intermediate cinema. Ann Thompson has been our guest today. And maybe one more time, let's remind them about where they can find your stuff. It's a daily blog, and we do lots of posts every day. It's Thompson on Hollywood at IndieWire. And we have lots of contributors as well. It's not just me. Uh, as well, how about the Twitter? Are you a Twitter face there? Are you gonna... Yes, I'm on AK Stanwick, and there's a Thompson on Hollywood page on Facebook as well. And I'm on LinkedIn. Ann Thompson has been our guest today. Ann, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, I know it's an extended interview, uh, but it's been a lot of fun, and uh, it's a great topic. We could probably go another three hours. And if we had drinks, it'd be all night, Ann. I'm going to hide this tape when I'm finished. If none of us make it, at least there'll be some kind of record. The storm's been hitting us hard now for 48 hours. 
We still have nothing to go on. like deja vu i'm sitting on the big comfy couch <laughs> here in the lobby dvd store and i am about to talk to kevin martin about one of my favorite films of all time it is called the thing it is screening tonight at the metro cinema that's right that's friday january 10th and it's going to be screening at 11 30 11 30 my 11:30. friend 11 so um we're not going to get into the plot necessarily we'll talk about it kind of as we yeah. suddenly reveal it but uh tell me about uh, let's talk about last time. You said it was a 32nd anniversary of the thing this time. I did. Uh, yeah, this was, but it was a few minutes ago. You didn't hear it, people. Yeah. Technical <laughs> difficulties. Tell us, because I thought it was great uh, when we were talking about it. You were telling the story about the last time you screened the thing at the Metro Cinema. Yeah, well, uh, this screening of the thing, real quick, is going to be a brand new uh, digitally remastered version that Universal's sending us. It'll be the cleanest cut you've ever seen of the thing, and we're poop super psyched. But when we originally showed it at the old Metro downtown, um, we actually got a 35 millimeter print of it, which, you know, is probably like I was saying that nobody heard, but uh, it's <laughs> it's probably in a, in, a, in a movie graveyard right now because... We sold out that show, and our grizzled veteran, woolly berserker projectionist told us, boys, I don't think it's going to make it all the way through. And it was like, you, you can't tell us that. We're not refunding anybody. We have a packed house. <laughs> and it did make it. It made it. Barely. But I've never seen snow look so red in my entire life by watching that movie. Yeah. I'm not talking about blood either. I'm talking about... Wow, this print is rosy. Like, I'm pretty sure this print was played at the Paramount Theater on Jasper back in the summer of 82. So, um, as much as I love the snap, crackle, and pops and the sweet cigarette burns of vintage uh, 35mm print, um, you know what? I, I think your eyes are going to appreciate the fact that we're not showing that when we are showing this beautifully new digital remastered version and no this is not like a blu-ray or something this is actually from what we've been told it's it's a dcp for all you uh, film cats out there that know what those are and um picture a blu-ray but five times the resolution that's what you're going to get for the screening so it's going to look immaculate now uh, as we were also talking about <laughs> what, what makes the 1982 thing amazing as opposed yeah. to 2011 is it was the it was the heyday of like sweet practical monster effects where yeah. everything you're seeing was built. It was there. And to this day, Rob Bottin's effects are killer. And you combine that with Kurt Russell's amazing beard and John Carpenter's sweet directing style. And really in a movie that I don't think you can get away with it that much anymore. An all male cast too, you know, mm -hmm. not a single female. That's what also separates the uh, pre-make from, uh, <laughs> Yeah. But uh, there is no better movie to show in the month of January, aside from maybe The Shining, which we already showed anyways, than John Carpenter's The Thing. I don't know if it's the studio, the producers, or maybe the, the MTV-style directors that are coming out now, but it's just like, you know, get to the point. ADD, boom, 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 you know, rock and roll. And, and you have to understand, building up the tension, you got isolation, you got paranoia. You got a group, an all-male cast. Did we talk about that in this take or the take before? Uh, no. <laughs> it's hard to say, It Kev. is hard to say. It's all blurring together now. Yeah, it's been a long day. But, um, no, it's it's just something that, uh, man, anytime you get Wilford Brimley in a movie without his patented mustache, you know something special is going to happen. We're super stoked to have it. Um, once again, it is at 1130 tonight. I know it's a little bit later, 
But come on, man, it's snowy outside. It's right. the perfect time of year to check it Hopefully out. Hopefully, it's not deathly cold. We're thinking it won't be. I, I, I'm looking at the temperature now. It looks like it's a balmy minus three degrees. Oh yeah, you it's know? gonna be fantastic. No problem. Although you know, if it was colder, then you could have rocked out with your parkas like McCready did. <laughs> That's true. Uh, you know what? But the beer will keep you warm. Absolutely, the beer will keep you warm. And I, there may or may not be shots of J and B Scotch available, so you can, you too, can drink along with Kurt Russell. As he uh, goes through the motions of, when all else fails, give me that fine, fine bottle of J&B Scotch to get me through this movie. All right, so the screening starts at 11.30. People should probably start showing up at around 11 o'clock. Yes. Uh, it is tonight at the Metro Cinema, of course. Bring a friend. It should be an amazing time. See one of the great 80s horror classics. I would say even in the history of horror films that this is probably one of the all-time greats. Oh, no doubt about it. And also, bring a little bit extra money, too, because, as always, the Lobby DVD shop will have a table set up selling some of my fine movies there. Yes. So come to see a movie and go to take home a movie, you know. Uh, whatever's new and hot in the shop will be on display. All right, if you want to keep uh, abreast of all things Dead Fest and beyond... Uh, like a very coming soon uh, fundraiser that you're going to be having, yeah. right? So to, to kind of help raise some money for the last video store, where can people find out more information about you, Kevin Martin, and the lobby? Well, as far as the lobby goes, uh, the best, the only thing I'm really reliable with these days is the Facebook page, the Lobby DVD Shop. It's updated daily. As far as Deadfest go, uh, we're also on Facebook. You can check out our website though, Deadfest dot. Com? Yeah, it's dot .com, right mm -hmm. on. Had to double check. And that's D-E-D, -E -D, by the way. Most of you guys know that, but if you're first-time listeners, <laughs> then maybe not. Right, so that about wraps it up for this week's edition of Moving Radio. Once again, tonight at 11.30, you can catch John Carpenter's The Thing, a beautifully restored version of it. It is like five times the quality of Blu-ray. It's going to be crisp, right? And uh, also as well, check out Ann Thompson, uh, super great writer. You can get your stuff on IndieWire uh, at uh, Hollywoodblog.com. You know, you can find her all over the internet. Just Google her, follow her on Twitter. She's a great, great lady and a very great writer. Um, as well, once again, we want to thank you for tuning into Moving Radio. If you're listening to this online, you can always catch old episodes of us on iTunes or on the SoundCloud. All you got to do is just search the name Moving Radio and you'll be fine. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Moving Radio. And as well on Instagram, it's Moving Radio as well. Odd that I put it all under the same name and maybe really smart. But stay tuned to CGSR, ladies and gentlemen, because coming up next... It is the finest in feminist radio. It's Adam and Eve.